Welcome to the Daily Bite with your host, Pastor Steve Andrews. Our Old Testament study today brings us to Ezekiel chapter 38. The word of Yahweh came to me, son of man, set your face toward Gog of the land of Magog, the chief prince of Meshech and Tubal, and prophesy against him and say, Thus says the Lord Yahweh, Behold, I am against you, O Gog, chief prince of Meshech and Tubal, and I will turn you about and put hooks into your jaws, and I will bring you out, and all your army, horses and horsemen, all of them clothed in full armor, a great host, all of them with buckler and shield, wielding swords. Persia, Cush, and Put are with them, all of them with shield and helmet. Gomer and all his hordes, Beth Togarma, from the uttermost parts of the north, with all his hordes, many peoples are with you. Be ready, and keep ready, you and all your hosts that are assembled about you, and be a guard for them. After many days you will be mustered. In the latter years you will go against the land that is restored from war, the land whose people were gathered from many peoples upon the mountains of Israel, which had been a continual waste. Its people were brought out from the peoples and now dwell securely, all of them. You will advance, coming on like a storm. You will be like a cloud covering the land, you and all your hordes and many peoples with you. Thus says the Lord Yahweh, On that day thoughts will come into your mind, and you will devise an evil scheme and say, I will go up against the land of unwalled villages. I will fall upon the quiet people who dwell securely, and all of them dwelling without walls and having no bars or gates, to seize, spoil, and carry off plunder, to turn your hand against the waste places that are now inhabited, and the people who were gathered from the nations who have acquired livestock and goods who dwell at the center of the earth. Sheba and Dedan and the merchants of Tarshish and all its leaders will say to you, Have you come to seize spoil? Have you assembled your host to carry off plunder, to carry away silver and gold, to take away livestock and goods, to seize great spoil? Therefore, son of man, prophesy, and say to Gog, Thus says the Lord Yahweh, On that day when my people Israel are dwelling securely, will you not know it? You will come from your place out of the uttermost parts of the north, you and many peoples with you, all of them riding on horses, a great host, a mighty army. You will come up against my people Israel like a cloud covering the land. In the latter days I will bring you against my land, that the nations may know me, when through you, O Gog, I vindicate my holiness before their eyes. Thus says the Lord Yahweh, Are you he of whom I spoke in former days by my servants, the prophets of Israel, who in those days prophesied for years that I would bring you against them? But on that day, the day that Gog shall come against the land of Israel, declares the Lord Yahweh, my wrath will be roused in my anger. For in my jealousy and in my blazing wrath I declare, on that day there shall be a great earthquake in the land of Israel. The fish of the sea and the birds of the heavens and the beasts of the field and all the creeping things that creep on the ground and all the people who are on the face of the earth shall quake at my presence. And the mountains shall be thrown down and the cliffs shall fall and every wall shall tumble to the ground. I will summon a sword against Gog on all my mountains, declares the Lord Yahweh. Every man's sword will be against his brother. With pestilence and bloodshed I will enter into judgment with him, and I will rain upon him and his hordes and the many peoples who are with him, torrential rains and hailstones, fire and sulfur. So I will show my greatness and my holiness and make myself known in the eyes of many nations. Then they will know that I am Yahweh. 
This is the word of the Lord. Now, today's text, and tomorrow's actually, chapter 39 as well, very fitting follow-up to the restoration that was just talked about yesterday in chapter 37, that the Lord is going to restore us, and not just not just a temporary restoration, not just a even a historical one when you think of this being 5th century B.C. conversation here. No, we're talking about we're talking about the restoration at the end. The resurrection of all flesh. As I had you take that conversation about the Valley of the Dry Bones and apply it not just to Israel, but also to your own family. I love the, the way the study Bible, the Lutheran study Bible here, starts out on chapter 38 and 39. Let me go. They introduce these two chapters with a question. Now, let me just read that to you. They say this section answers this question. Will God's servant David, the one king of one nation, actually rule forever and put into effect an everlasting covenant? Or will sinister forces combine to destroy his reign of peace? It's good stuff, right? That's the context here. And I would have you ask that question to your own kids. God is setting up his servant David, chapter 37, right at the end of yesterday's chapter, saying that he is going to rule forever. And so we talked about who that servant was. This is Jesus. Can he actually rule forever? And, I mean, what about evil? What about enemies of God and God's people? That's the picture we're getting here today. So, who is Gog? Well, there's a possibility Gog is a reference to a 7th century B.C. ruler um, in the land of Western Asia Minor, Magog here, obviously, is a place, right? But there's not much of anything about these two. Gog and Magog show up earlier in Scripture uh, as people names. As you're looking through the descendants of, of God's people. But there's just not much about Gog and Magog in Scripture to work with. The one note in Scripture that does show up and is why... Um, I think we're taking this text the way that we do as being about the end times, is that Gog and Magog show up together in the book of Revelation. As you're looking at Revelation chapter 20, let's see, chapter 20, verse 8, come out to deceive the nations that are at the four corners of the earth, Gog and Magog, to gather them for battle. Their number is like the sand of the sea. Can you see the similarity to this text? So, Gog and Magog here probably then are taken as an alliance of evil. Simply as that. Not as literal places at that moment in time, but as the, the fullness of evil, the evil peoples of this world who, who choose to ally themselves with the devil and sin, um, fighting against God and against his church. That's our picture here in the text. So, Meshach, Tubal, we talked about um, several chapters ago, they're also Asia Minor, when they were destroyed, I think that's chapter 27, their dead didn't even get to lie with the other slain. You know, the, in that section, all those, all those slain, all those wicked ones were lying down together in death, but not these. Um, so it could be a reference to even further evil. So God is against Gog. He is against this evil 
alliance, and he's going to take them captive. That's the idea of putting hooks into their jaws. So they're going to come against his people, but he's going to stop it. He's going to bring them out and their army, and he's ultimately going to put an end to it. So we learn that there's others with them. So the, the alliance of evil grows. We've got Persia, Cush, Put, Gomer, Bethogarma. Um, well, Persia's off to the east, Cush to the south, Gomer and Beth Togarma are to the north. So this is enemies from all around. Be ready. The battle's coming. After many days you will be mustered. God is actually going to call evil together for a final fight. He's going to bring them against the land that is restored from war. That's a reference to how he restores his people, Israel. And we would refer uh, to the New Testament Israel as the church. Not a physical location, but all of God's people wherever we are. So there's a war brewing. Hopefully that's starting to sound like the book of Revelation for you here because that's our reference point. You will be like a cloud covering the land. Imagine if you were living in a city and an enemy like that came against you. Where the people are just so numerous you can't even see ground anymore as your watchman looks on at their approach. They're like a cloud that just covers the land. A terrifying sight. But this is the question on this one for your children. If God is fighting, does it matter how many enemy soldiers there are? Not at all. And this has been shown again and again in Israel's history. You can think of a couple of quick examples. When, when God has Gideon, in the, the book of Judges, fighting against the Midianites. There's a hundred, I think it's 135,000 Midianite soldiers. And the Lord's troops are too many, numbering like 30,000. So he says, send them home if they're afraid. And so the number is reduced and it's reduced. And it's still not small enough. It's still too many lest they think it's their own hands that have delivered them. So he has them go down to the river and they do that thing where they, they lap the water out of the river. And there's a distinction made between two different groups and how they drank. And he's to take the one section, which is just 300 men, that's his army. And they, those 300 go to war against 135,000, and they're not only victorious, none of them died. Why? God was fighting. Or when the Assyrians had camped themselves outside of, of Jerusalem, and we're going to destroy God's people in the middle of the night, the angel of Yahweh came down and destroyed 185,000 Assyrian soldiers. Gone. Or the Egyptian army, as they crossed the Red Sea behind the Israelites, chasing them across, and the, the sea was closed, and the army perished. When it's the Lord who fights, it matters not how many enemy soldiers there are. There could be a billion of them to one, and it would not matter at all, because God would win. God does win. That's the point of the book of Revelation. Um, the Lord is victorious. That, that is a book of comfort. So, verse 10 here. On that day, thoughts will come into your mind. An evil scheme. Evil. This evil alliance is going to go not after the defense, defensed, defensed, the, the, the ones who can protect themselves. They're going to go after the defenseless. They're going to go after the little villages and pick off the the small families. 
and they're going to seize. They're going to plunder. Verse 13, I don't know what to make with this question, to be quite honest with you. Sheba is from Arabia. Dedan is from Edom. Tarshish is all the way west in Spain. So leaders from around the world are going to ask them this question, and I don't know if it's because they support them or if it's because they're not supporting them. The question kind of stands out there as unnecessary, right? Um, Because the text just moves on and moves away from it. So we will too. Um, Prophesy to Gog, verse 14, you will come from your place out of the uttermost parts of the north. That is a simple um, historical reality that most of the attackers against Israel, against Jerusalem, come from the north. So so will this enemy, this final enemy. I will bring you against my land that the nations may know me when through you, O Gog, I vindicate my holiness. So God is going to destroy the alliance of evil so that all the nations know that he is God. He will vindicate, he will defend his name, his holiness. Verse 17, are you he of whom I spoke in former days by my servants? So by the other prophets of Israel, the various prophets in the scriptures that spoke of various enemies who would come against God's people and that God would defeat them. Yeah, this is him. On that day, my wrath will be roused in my anger. So this is end times stuff here. God is going to bring his blazing wrath against evil. On that day, there shall be a great earthquake. Here's one to pause and think about and and ask your children. Ask your children this. Can you think of any earthquakes in the New Testament? It's a tough question. But there are three that I'm pointing to specifically here. Matthew 27, verse 54 at the death of Jesus on the cross. Matthew 28, verse 2, when the earthquake happens at the time of Christ's resurrection. And Revelation chapter 16, verses 17 and 18, an earthquake that is connected to the very end in the latter days. So think of this in that perspective, right? God is going to rouse his anger He's going to pour out his blazing wrath against evil. And now we're talking about Jesus on the cross taking away all of our sin. Right? I mean, think about it. When did Jesus defeat evil for us? When did he defeat our sinful nature? On the cross. Think about it this way. When did Jesus defeat the devil? When did Jesus defeat death? Um, Arguably with the devil, you could say the cross. You because that's when he took away the devil's um, power over you, which is how he holds you guilty for your sins. So let's lump the devil back in with, with Good Friday. But Easter, the resurrection, Christ defeats death for you. I mean, those are the evils, right? Sin, death, and the devil. And Christ has defeated all of them. The blazing wrath of God poured out. Evil defeated. And yet... There is evil that remains in this creation. There is evil that remains in this world. And so there is that final day of judgment at the end. And God's wrath will be poured out against evil. And they will, verse 22, be destroyed with torrential rain, hailstone, fire, and sulfur. Fire and sulfur there, 
perhaps a direct connection to the, the lake of fire and sulfur, which is a reference to hell and to the second death, the destruction that will come. So, I mean, it doesn't matter how much the enemy fights. Christ is already victorious. It doesn't matter how many troops they can muster, how many people they can dissuade. Christ is victorious. And this is, again, the beauty of the book of Revelation. I mean, the, I think of the, the way that Christians today like to focus on, on the giant battle and Armageddon. Um, I've got a very different take on Armageddon, but the, you can go back to the Revelation episode on that and you can actually listen to that take. But the point being, when you look at the, the mustering of troops for battle, and it happens twice, like Revelation is a rep- repetitive book, and you see that the final battle really happened those two different times in the latter chapters. And both times you get this description of, of, of the devil mustering his forces. And you think you're going to get this description of a war, right? That's what all these end times things today like to focus on. But the battle never occurs. As soon as the evil musters, it's defeated. God wins and it's done. There's not even a fight. It's fantastic. I mean, talk about talk about comfort, right? On the last day, you don't have to pick up a sword. Christ is already victorious. Sin, death, and the devil are already defeated for you. And that's the point of this chapter too. The enemies and evil cannot overcome God's servant, David, Jesus. He will rule forevermore. His peace will never end. Now, speaking of peace, there is that line there in verse 21, every man's sword will be against his brother. And that reminds me of Luke chapter 12, verses 51 and following, where Jesus says he did not come to bring peace, but division, and that families, even within their family, would be divided against themselves. So unfortunately, this is also a true reality, and we see it even in the world in which we live today, that there are those who believe in Christ, and there are those who reject Christ and that even households are split over this um, to the point where they ostracize one another. Right? Think of what happens in most homes within the Islamic community when one of the people in the family becomes a Christian. They're kicked out. They're thrown out of the house in a lot of places. Or they're beaten or abused Um, and many others. So Christ's gospel is the ultimate good news, and it is what restores and saves. But there is yet evil. But do not fear, O Christian, because Christ has overcome that evil already, and you are his. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus.